comes. And because of that opposition, it, it spreads even further. And that repetition, that theme, we're going to see once again this morning. And as we've done this, we've been faced with the reality each week. What is our role in this missio day, this mission of God? What is our role in this mission that started way back then and is still continuing today? The last two weeks, you've heard us pray for a couple of missionary, uh, missionary couple and then Tia this morning. And we've been praying for them because we're, we're actually supporting them through prayer. And we want them to do that corporately. And we're supporting them financially. And one of the things that I thought of this morning is while we were praying for Tia was, I wonder how many of us, this is kind of surreal, that missionaries are still being called into the mission field even today. That this isn't something that we're reading about when the church first started, that it's continuing to happen. And so we, we've been faced with the, the, at least the thought of what is our role in playing out and fulfilling this mission that God has given his church. This morning we continue with that same pattern we've prepared you and letting you know that this repetition was going to come up, and we've reminded you that it's for a reason. This is on purpose. When you see something happening constantly through Scripture, over and over and over again, you should pay attention to it. It's something that God is trying to communicate through the repetition. He's, he's trying to say, hey, this is who I am. This is what my will is. This is my purpose. So pay attention as you see that. And that's what we've seen as we've gone through Acts. And I, I pointed out, a, a, man, it was probably a, six weeks ago, that one of the things that we, we talked about as uh, the pastors when we met a couple months ago was, I'm wondering if the repetition, as providentially for our church, is going to click for somebody. You know, it's one of those things, when I was in high school, I, had a, uh, I was playing baseball, and, I, you know, the coaches would tell me I was leaning on my front foot. For those of you who don't play baseball, that's a bad thing to do. If you're way out in front and somebody throws you an off-speed pitch, you can't really adjust. I had coaches telling me that for weeks. Hey, keep your weight back. Keep your weight back. Keep your weight back. I had a different coach tell me one day in the batting cage, hey, you're, you're really leaning out front. Why don't you try to keep your, your, your weight balanced? It's the same thing that every coach had been telling me for weeks. But for whatever reason, in that moment, it clicked. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, yeah. And I had one of the best games. And it continued for weeks in the whole season. All because I heard it from one person a different way, a different time. And one of my thoughts was, as we've seen the repetition in Acts, is that maybe, as you see this week, the gospel advance and opposition come, that maybe... That's for you this morning. That in the repetition this week, maybe you'll see it a different way. And you'll see that we have been commissioned to go out into the world, whether it be in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhood, or to the ends of the earth, wherever that may be, we have been sent by Jesus Christ himself to bring the gospel with us. And that opposition will come. And then how do we respond when it, when it comes? So I don't want you to get bored. I don't want you to get tired of hearing some of these same principles come up each week. 
We've been studying in our, in our student ministry, we've been focusing on Scripture, f- fundamental beliefs about the Christian faith, and we've been spending about six weeks on the Scripture, and one of the things we talked about this week is the necessity of Scripture, how we need it to maintain our spiritual lives. Matthew 4.4 4 is a memory verse for them this week. I could probably call a couple of them up here and they could recite it to you because I've been quizzing them throughout the week. Matthew 4.4 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what we need to maintain our spiritual life. Scripture. We need the Bible. We need the repetition because it feeds our souls. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. Let's feast this morning on the Word of God. Or as one of our students has now coined the phrase, let's read that food. Let's read that food this morning. So Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41. I'm going to read the whole text this morning. We're not going to go verse by verse, as I'm, even though it's like really hard for me not to do that, because uh, I'm so square. I'm just a square guy. Uh, but we're going to kind of summarize it and go through it. But I want to read the whole text for you so you see where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that Not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together in the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis 
and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, as we come to study this word, Father, we, we, we pray that we would be convicted of the necessity of it for our, for our spiritual sustenance, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would feed us this morning. Father, help me to speak clearly. Father, for anyone here whose hearts are not prepared to hear this word, we pray that you would do a work right now that you would soften it to receive it, and that this church would, would be sanctified this, this morning through the hearing and study of, the, of your word. We pray all this for the glory of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. The uh, structure of this passage, it kind of plays out just like the theme that we've seen. We're going to see... Uh, gospel transformation. We're going to see what happens, the effects of the gospel. Then from that, we see the gospel opposition. And then from that, we're going to see the gospel continue to advance. But just before that, we get a little, Luke is very, uh, he's very descriptive. Uh, He is very historically accurate. He's kind of like me, I think. I think he's kind of square. He's going to give all the details. And so he kind of gives us an idea in verses 21 through 22. It's really a turning point in Acts. He's kind of telling us the plans that Paul has, where he wants to go. And, and from this point forward, Paul is going to have his focus on going to Rome. So as we, as we finish out this study through, through the rest of the series, that's where Paul wants to be. He's, he's on his way to Rome. And the description that he gives us is that Paul had resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia, to pass through Achaia, and then go to Jerusalem. Now, it, those two places were out of the way. That's not on the way to Jerusalem. So what he's doing is he's actually going to these Gentile churches, collecting, we see this from some of his other letters, he's collecting a gift that he can bring with him to help the poor in the church. This is one of the things that Paul was doing as a church planner, right? As this gospel is spreading amongst Jew and Gentile, we've already seen the tension between that. He's trying to maintain the unity of the church and say, hey, here's this gift from your Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ they love you, and they want to help support you when he gets to Jerusalem. But we see this, this thing. He says, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Paul had this desire to go there. And what we're going to see is he eventually gets there, just not by the means he thought he would. So that's kind of the, the, where we're headed the rest of this. But in this passage that we have, starting in verse 23, the first thing we see is gospel transformation. We're going to see the effects of the gospel. And one of the things I want you to see here is that it invades every aspect of life. So what that means is this isn't something that you get to compartmentalize. That here this morning on Sunday mornings, when you come into this building, you're meeting with people who are like-minded. 
that you get to say, okay, this is how I'm going to think about the world right now. But then whenever you leave this place, you get to think differently. That's not the way Christian faith works because the Holy Spirit is, is, is transforming your entire heart and it's going to play out in every aspect of your life. That's what was going on here in Ephesus. In verse 23, we see that this Christian movement is disturbing the very fabric of their society. Demetrius is a silversmith. And his job, primarily, he was making these shrines for tourists that would come in or for people who would worship this goddess Artemis. She was the goddess of nature. His business was the business of idolatry. And he was very wealthy. He says, guys, you know that our wealth comes from this. Not our, our means of living. Our wealth is coming from this. This is a big enterprise in this city. So he calls all these guys together, people who were silversmiths like him or people that were like, had the same trade, that were making money from the same, same, same means. He says, guys, there, there's an issue here. The worship of Artemis was widespread throughout all of Rome. In fact, there were probably about 33 sh- shrines spread out uh, from among the region that Rome ruled. And in Ephesus, we see that there was a temple of Artemis. So this was the center of worship. And every year during the spring, they would have a festival. And people would travel there to go worship Artemis during that festival. We're talking about tens of thousands of people that were part of this. Really, it's, it's a cult that are worshiping this, this goddess of nature. And it's likely a lot of people think that where we are this morning in Acts chapter 19, this meeting occurred during that festival. So you understand the tension that's going on here. This is the peak season for them. This is where they make their money as, as people are journeying in from out of town to come worship Artemis at the temple. It's an important aspect of their local economy. And because of its popularity, the temple had actually not only been the center of worship, but it's become the center of business as well. So you've got a lot going on here. And a lot of people are profiting from these shrines dedicated to the, the temple of Artemis. I kind of think about it like Mardi Gras. Think about how many people come into New Orleans during Mardi Gras season. Think about those hotel owners. Think about those restaurant owners. Think about the people who manufacture and sell the beads that are thrown out in all of these parades. Think about the alcohol distributors. There are a lot of people who profit, who generate their means of life from that peak season. And sure, they make money throughout the year, but this is it for them. This is like the Super Bowl of tourist attraction. That's what's going on here. And now they've got this problem, right? This problem of Paul. This guy, they say this Paul. It's not even that they have a personal relationship with Paul. They just know this guy is out there persuading people to stop worshiping Artemis. And he's saying that gods made with our hands are not true gods. Do you realize the impact that's going to have on our lives? Flip the script. That's from Demetrius' perspective. Think about from Paul's perspective. That is a victory, right? That's something to celebrate. 
that there are people, we saw that last week, people who are completely walking away from their pagan worship because, hey, there is one true God and we're going to worship that God. Paul, uh, Demetrius continues in verse 27 and he says, look, not only will our trade be affected, but the whole economy. Think about the temple of Artemis. If it, if it gets out and more people start believing this nonsense that this Paul is, is passing out, then think about what's going to happen to our economy when the, the very thing that we're built upon is no longer important. What is that going to become? On the surface, it appears that he cares about Ephesus, that he cares about these men, but I think we can all see through that facade. And what does he care about? He cares about this. See, Demetrius had fallen to the temptation that, that so many have and still do today fall into. It's that love of money and the things that it provides them. He would have done well to heed the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Verse 36 Jesus said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What good would it do? There was a man who wrote about what good it would do. A man who had everything. Turn to Ecclesiastes really quickly. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, Solomon, the, the guy who had everything, he had all the wealth. He concluded... He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. It's nothing. Demetrius is clinging to something that doesn't mean anything in an eternal perspective. It's quite the opposite of what we saw last week in Acts chapter 19 and verse 18. It's Luke recorded also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it, to, it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. These people left it. Confronted with the truth that what they were doing was not was not actually grounded in anything that, that would last eternally. These people burned all of their books. And, and it says it came up to about 50,000 pieces of silver. And, and Blake talked about this last week as I got to study the text. I went back and looked. There's not a real uh, true uh, way to know exactly how much that was. But pretty much it's between millions and potentially over a billion dollars today is what that would have amounted to. About $500 million to possibly $1.2 billion of books burned, left, and say, hey, we don't need this anymore because we're following Jesus. I'm giving up my old way, and I'm going to follow him now. Demetrius is not there. Demetrius is fighting to retain everything that this world says that he should pursue. What we saw last week is the effect of gospel transformation. 
when the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to see the truth and beauty of the gospel and we say, I don't need this anymore because I've got Jesus and he is far more valuable. And the hope that I have in Christ, it exceeds any hope that I have in this earth. And so forget that. I want him. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you haven't trusted in Christ, I want to first say I'm glad you're here. I want you to feel welcome here. I want you to see that There are people here who care about you, that love you, want to get to know you. Not just from a a surface level. If you you want to allow us to get in there with you, we'll do that. If you want to push us off for a while, that's okay too. If you're looking for community, people who will love you like that, we're here for you. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to let you down at some point. But what we're going to do every week is we're going to try to point you to the one who won't. We're going to say, hey, look, Jesus is far more valuable than anything you have in this life. He is offering you a hope that will exceed any, any sort of turmoil you may experience today. There is a greater hope we have if you would trust in his work of salvation. With that, though, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be upfront and honest. You will end up walking away from things in your life. You'll end up, it may be a hobby. It may be a typical, uh, a, a practical behavior. It may, it may not necessarily be your job or your, your whole way of making money like these guys did. It could be, but it, it may not necessarily be that. But what it may do is, is say, hey, this is the way I, I use my money now. I'm going to use my money differently. Or I view my job or my business differently. Because now I know it's not a, a means to making money. It's a means for me to glorify my God and my Savior Jesus Christ. And so that's what I'm going to use this for. That's what happens with the gospel. It will, the Holy Spirit will completely transform your heart, every aspect of your life. It is a process. So Christians, those of you church who are here, it is a process, and the Holy Spirit's not done with you yet either. This isn't something that when you first came and trusted in Christ, that you say, okay, these are the things that I need to fix, and I'm going to move on. No, the Holy Spirit's going to keep coming after you. He's going to keep pursuing your heart, and he's going to say, hey, things that once weren't as big of a deal, now let's focus on that aspect of your heart. For me, one of the things that happened a few years ago you know, I, I grew up playing sports, and I played college football. Even though I played it a little, I wasn't that good. Don't, don't be impressed by that. Um, I played a little Division three school where basically if you pay enough money, you can play. Um, so I took out student loans, and I played football for a couple years. But one of the things that I found myself, my heart, was wrapped up in was Saturdays, LSU football. I'm from Baton Rouge. That's what we did every single weekend. And so I would get together with my friends, and I would find myself being caught up in the idolatry of this football program built with 18 to 22-year-old boys. And it, if they lost a game, I wasn't one that would like ruin my week. But I, I would get so emotionally caught up in that. Well, guess what? When I first became a believer, that wasn't a priority at that point. There were other things in my heart that the Holy Spirit had to, had to shape. But at that point in my life, the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I was like, man, 
Who am I worshiping? I'm worshiping LSU on Saturdays and Jesus Christ on Sundays. That's a problem. So yesterday, did I enjoy watching LSU win? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I have an allegiance to Jesus that is worth more than any allegiance I would have to any sports team. I give, you, I give that to you as an example, Christians, that the Holy Spirit isn't done with your heart yet. Be willing to be transformed in every aspect of your life and say, okay, what am I worshiping this morning? What am I idolizing? Is there something that I'm placing higher value on than Jesus Christ himself? Is it your careers? Is it your families? Because those are things that we tend to say, those are good things that I should be pursuing, but a lot of times they become idols. Gospel transformation happens in every aspect of life. And when it starts to invade the world, expect gospel opposition. In verse 28, after Demetrius gives this speech, the men are enraged, and look, chaos ensues. I want you to understand, this is very hostile. This isn't just like a group getting together and yelling things back and forth. They're unable to grab Paul, so instead they drag two of his companions into the theater. Paul, I kind of got this picture of Paul when he finds out about that. It's like that fight-or-flight uh, reaction. And what does he do? Paul wants to fight. So Paul's like, wait, what? And so he's trying to get into the theater, and the disciples are like, hey, no, you need, don't go there. You're, you're the one that they're bringing up, that they're mentioning. If you go in there, it's not going to end well. Even some of the, the, the guys who are, this, they, they're called the Asiarchs. They're like the, the, the lead families throughout all of Asia, the wealthy, the powerful, the influential. They're not Christians, but they have grown to have a high respect for Paul, they send message to him like, do, do not come here today. His life is at stake. Very hostile environment. Now it ends up, what you have is, Luke says that there were some people yelling out one thing and some yelling out another. There were some who, they were just bought into the hype of anger and hard-heartedness and they didn't even know what they were there for. The heart of man is evil. And what was going on here was, I don't care what this is, but I want to be a part of it because I want to express my anger that I have. Very hostile environment. Verses 33 through 34, even the Jews sense the hostility that's directed towards Christians. So this guy, Alexander, wants to get up on stage and try to disassociate. Hey, we're Jews, but we're not, we're not with them. He doesn't even get a chance to do that. They boo him off the stage and they yell, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. Constantly just chanting this. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is the response we should expect in the world. Jesus said that we are the salt and light of the earth. As we go into the world as salt, we're going to find people who have open wounds. And salt in an open wound hurts. And you can expect some pushback whenever that happens. 
Jesus said that the world hates the light because light reveals the evil acts of man. You can expect that when you go out into the world as the light of the earth and you are bringing gospel truth with you, part of that does expose the evil nature of man. And we don't like that. None of us do. None of us like to see our worst put on display. And so there's going to be opposition. There's going to be pushback. And that's going to come in varying degrees. Some of it's going to be, hey, I started sharing the gospel with this person. They were like my best friend, and now all of a sudden they're avoiding me. That may be opposition that you experience. It may be very forceful. It may be, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Don't talk to me about that anymore. It could be violent. It could result in that way. But what you can always expect, what we have seen constantly throughout Acts, is as the gospel moves forward, as the gospel advances into places that are dark and hopeless, opposition comes. Jesus prepared his disciples and said, it's going to happen. And so he gave them a helper, the Holy Spirit, to go with them. It's the same Holy Spirit that you and I have today. As we face opposition, we have the power of the Holy Spirit with us. So church, as we continue to be transformed, and as we commit ourselves to this mission of God, we should expect to be hurt, to be mocked, to be persecuted. We should expect it. But as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, we should have this heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're looking with eternal perspective, not the things that are right in front of us today. So for your friend that's now avoiding you, let's pray for them. Let's pray that you have now planted the seed of the gospel and that God will do that. They had to hear it to believe it. It had to happen. Praise God he, he used you to let them hear the gospel proclaimed. If they're avoiding you or they have told you, hey, I don't want you in my life anymore, let's pray for them that God would use that eternally. And it may hurt right now, but this is light momentary affliction that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And that's what we press on for. The good news is, even when opposition comes, gospel advances. It continues to move forward. In verse 35, God worked through the city clerk. No one else could, could make this chaos stop. They couldn't put an end to it. City clerk gets up, and he says, Guys, you know what's real. You know that this temple exists. Look at all the people, possibly. Look at all the people who are here to worship Artemis. Think about all the people that come in and out of this place every day. Look at the, more than likely they had a, a meteorite. So when he says that, like this holy rock that fell from heaven, it's like a meteorite that fell down. And so it's like, okay, is this, from, this is from God. 
You know this exists. No one can deny that. So calm down. We know, we know what's real. These guys, these two guys, they haven't done anything sacrilegious. They haven't blasphemed our goddess. And there is a right way to do this. This is not the right way. You should be going into court. If you have any charge against them, Demetrius, you should take it that direction, not this, because we are getting very close to being considered and accused of having a riot today, and if that were to happen, the Roman government would not look favorably upon you. What's interesting is this text this morning, as I was studying it, you don't see one Christian person speaking. (laughs) That's kind of hard to preach from, honestly. I'm like, I'm like looking for that person that's going to deliver the hope so I can just you know, lean on their words that they're saying. Instead, who do we have? We have Demetrius, who does not worship God. He worships himself, if we're honest. That's what he's doing. We have Alexander, who's a Jew who wants to disassociate himself from, from the Christians. And then we have the city clerk, who's just trying to calm everything down. But God is sovereign. God is working through the things of this earth to make sure that his mission is accomplished because you see, he wasn't done with Paul yet. He still had a plan for Paul to go into other places of the world and bring the gospel. And so basically everybody just kind of leaves. That's the way we, that's the way it ends. The assembly dissolves and everybody gets to go on. Let this build confidence in your faith. Not that God will prevent you from harm. I don't think, I can't make that blanket statement. I think as you look through Acts, I think you can see that that doesn't always happen. Think of Stephen, Acts chapter 7. He wasn't prevented from harm. Think of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, when they were beaten with rods and they were thrown in prison and put in stocks. Think about Jason in Acts 17 as, they, as he was dragged out of his house. It's not that God will always prevent you from harm, but that is even if you go through that, he's going to use it to accomplish his mission, and you get to be a part of that. It may look differently for some of us. We watched a video about two months ago where we saw a woman who was her family, her husband, they, people were trying to kill him. And her words, she said, we're ready to go if he'll take us. But until then, we're going to keep preaching the gospel. That's the way we should be. That's where our hearts should be. The confidence that God will fulfill his mission, glorifying himself, obtaining a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we get to be a part of that. And so this morning, we get to, it's a privilege to ask ourselves the question, God, how will you use us? How will you use me? How will you use me in this relationship? How will you use me in this neighborhood? How will you use me at work? And then ask yourself, are are you open to any means necessary? Any means necessary. That's where Paul was. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Are you there? Because I want you to know that this mission, Jesus Christ himself, He is worthy of that. He is worthy of that. So let us continue to carry out the mission with great confidence. We have a promise for us in Matthew chapter 16. As Jesus 
was telling Peter, hey, I'm going to build my church. You are going to be that foundation. We're going to, the church will be built. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus Christ has already won the victory. We get to finish playing out the game. But he has already won it. He has accomplished it. And our privilege as the church is to move forward knowing that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so let us continue to push on. And when you grow weary, ask God to give you the strength to keep going. And when you face opposition, rely on the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to move forward. All for God's glory. Let's pray.